0: And I want to go through about the first two chapters, and I have a feeling we'll end up finishing 1 Peter uh, at a following Wednesday, but as I begin to read it afresh, I'm reminded of the hope that we have, and that's what I want to talk to you about in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Uh, Who's back there? Brother Mike, your job is to follow along with me in 1 Peter and into 2 Peter. I'll try to keep you abreast of the... the the verses that we're going to be at. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a little bit. We're going to take it a bit verse by verse. Uh, But I I want it to come alive. That's what I want to more than anything. Peter is an epistle. An epistle simply means it's a letter. And the best way to read the epistles is to read them uh, as a letter. To try to get away from the chapter and the verses. To try to get away from the way the Bible divides it up. And just realize that it is Peter sitting down somewhere and writing a letter. Most of the epistles, if not all the epistles, at the very beginning will tell you who that letter is to. And then at the end they usually conclude with with kind of some personal greetings as well. But I want you to look at this this opening of, of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied unto you. You have to understand that Peter, this is the same Peter that preached on the day of Pentecost. This is the same Peter that that you, you saw preach the very first message. But the key to this and the key to understanding the hope that you and I have is found in a phrase we don't use a lot. In that first verse it says, to those Exiles. Now I'm reading the English Standard Version because that's the, the Bible that I've been reading through and, and trying to, to, to write notes and let the Lord speak. And when I get through it and fill it up, I'm gonna grab me a new Bible that and 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 start some fresh notes in it. But it says to the the at least in the English Standard Version, it says to the dispersion. If you were to look with me back in in the book of Acts, and if you were to go to the book of Acts, chapter 8, I want to show you something. This is how powerful the presence of God is. In the book of Acts chapter 8, you find that Saul approved of the stoning of Stephen. That's the first martyr uh, in this new uh, uh, Christian way, if you will. And the Bible says there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen, made great limitation over him. Saul was ravaging the church, entering house to house, and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Now that's a bad place in history. And I want you to notice that it said the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the church was scattered. But I want you to look At verse number 4 in Acts chapter 8, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Can I tell you today that, that really God never intended for the work of the church to just be done by preachers standing behind wooden pulpits. He said, I need my apostles to stay in Jerusalem for a reason. But those that are scattering because of persecution, they went out and they preached the word. There are other places in the book of of Acts, and I've highlighted them, and I'm not going to get to them tonight, but places where it says that the greater the persecution, the more they preached, and the more miracles God wrought, and the more effect they had on their cities, towns, and communities. Because no matter what the devil throws at you, he cannot stop the word of God. And you're going to see that here in a moment. But that's the key to what Peter and who Peter is writing to. Peter is writing to those Jews that through the persecution that came uh, in the book of Acts, they are now scattered. The Bible says they went to Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. They are scattered across the known parts of the globe. And even though they're scattered and they've left, they're fleeing from persecution, God allowed churches to be birthed in those places. And Peter is preaching to Jews that are believing in Jesus Christ and are in faraway places who are still suffering the effects of persecution. And I'm sure, now I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you before. And I'm not asking for a show of hands by any stretch of the imagination, but have you ever had a, a something bad in your life happen to you and the devil starts trying to put a wedge in there and says, now, was it really worth it living for God? Is that a fair question to ask you? Has anybody ever gone through something and your flesh or the devil says, See, if you just wouldn't have served God, you wouldn't be facing this persecution. I believe this is the mindset of these that were in the dispersion. They were sitting there wondering, was what we experienced perhaps in the upper room, what we experienced in the book of Acts, is it really worth it? Are we just getting our heads handed to us for nothing? And so Peter has that rhetorical question, if you will, that unasked question. And so he says, I'm going to help you out. In verse 3, Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead, listen to me somebody, I have felt for the last couple of days as I have poured over my Bible and and asked the Lord, Lord let your word speak, let me tell somebody this, And, and I know you probably don't need me to tell you this, but number one, life is not fair. Anybody here that says I have a perfect life and my life has never had a problem, you're lying through your teeth. Life is not fair. But let me tell you, some of you that it seems that every day you wake up, it seems that you're getting slapped around and every time you get out of bed, life throws something else at you. Let me help you out. You're still alive. Think about Job and all the things that Job went through. I have to think that in the back of his mind, even though there was a lot of problems and a lot of circumstances, he was at least alive. And as long as he was alive, there was a time for God to work in his life. Somebody here, you need to understand, it is a living hope. As long as you are breathing there is hope. As long as you are taking a breath, there is hope. Why? Because the Bible says in verse 4 that God has called us to an inheritance and watch these three words. That is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Now, some of you that that saw my Facebook post today I I thought about Everybody else is doing all the mushy, mushy, sappy uh, Valentine's posts And I figured if I did that today I'd just be following the crowd So I'm going to wait until no one's expecting it And I'll say something I did think about being biblical and, And as I have studied the book of Proverbs And went through that And uh Uh Solomon just is absolutely incredible I thought about using some of his wisdom and I thought about rolling over and telling my wife that you know her neck is like a tower or her legs are like pillars and you know the things that Song of Solomon says you know your forehead and I just didn't think she would appreciate that very much but so instead I decided to put on my Facebook post today I don't know where I was going with that (laughs) Oh, yeah, that there were 43 weeks till Christmas. Anybody excited? 45 weeks, yeah, 45 weeks till Christmas. I'm so, I'm just pumped. It's awesome. But some of you, you got Christmas presents a couple weeks ago, a couple, month and a half or so ago, and they've already lost their sparkle. You're not even using them anymore. I love my mother. I bought her a really cool crock pot one time. I was so excited. It was one of them ninjas, one of them awesome ninja, you know, does everything. A year later, I was at their house, and I had to go down to the, uh, the basement, and I walked down to the basement, and there is the box, still sealed. Sometimes we see things that fade as time goes on. Things that you long for, things that you hope for, things that you're looking forward to, just time etches away at them. But can I tell you that as long as you take a breath, that, 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 understanding that this is not all there is to living for God, that one day the eastern sky is going to split, that one day the trumpet is going to sound, and the hope you have is that that hope is imperishable. There is no expiration date on heaven. There is no expiration date on what's to come. It's undefiled. You're not going to get there and see some rust happening. You're not going to get there and the golden streets have a little tarnish on it. It's undefiled. Fading, and it's in heaven for you. And verse 5 says it's also by the power of God that you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. I love phrases like that. I'm guarded. I want you to understand that God looks out for you. That God has a watch over you, if you will. And again, could I take you back to the book of Job and remind you that even though Job had to walk through some dark times, all of those dark times passed under the watchful eye of his heavenly Father who guarded him. Now I've preached on this and I'm not going to rehash it tonight, but verse 6 says, in this you rejoice. For now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that you are tested by the genuineness of your faith, so that it is more precious than gold that perishes through, uh, though it is tested by fire, that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I know you've been through the ringer of trials. I know that you've had your ups and downs, but I can tell you today, sometimes it's simply a test. Of your faith. And I would tell you today that if gold and silver is tried by the fire. Then how much more should our faith that is more precious than those precious metals be tried. Bible says in verse 8. Though we've not seen him. We love him. Though we do not see him. You believe in Him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There were probably some that have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost by this time that maybe never got to walk with Jesus. They were, they were probably alive when Jesus was on the face of the earth, but maybe they didn't have the privilege that the others had to walk with Jesus. They didn't have that privilege, and now it's much like you and I. We haven't seen Him. We've not really talked to Him. We've not touched the hem of His garment, but we have a faith in something we have yet not seen, but we have felt His presence, and it has resulted in an outcome, the salvation of your souls. The Bible says, let me talk to you, verse 10, concerning this salvation. Let me me remind you about this salvation. This salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours searched and inquired carefully. They inquired what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the uh, the glories. What that means is, let me take you back to the book of Isaiah. Remember when Isaiah penned the words? For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. I have a feeling, although he didn't know the full extent of what the Lord was speaking into him, there was an understanding in Isaiah's life that this is the Messiah that is coming. And don't you think, as as Isaiah penned those in his soul, he said, I hope I get to see that come to pass. But he didn't. And so these prophets, they searched, they inquired. They were asking, when is all of this going to happen? And it was revealed to them, verse 12, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. Remember, we're talking about Jewish people. The, this, this letter was written to those who had grown up in synagogues. They had grown up going to the temple. All they had was the, 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 the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. All they had was the writings of the prophets. All they had was the stories of the kings and the chronicles. All they had was the poems and songs written in the Psalms. And they had read that, they had grabbed it, and they were looking for something that was coming And Peter said, you have experienced everything the Old Testament was pushing towards. He says, so, therefore, verse 13. If we're living in the the days that the Old Testament said were coming, we are living in in the prophetic revelation of everything those prophets talked about. So now that we recognize where we're at, we're saved. Watch verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who here has your Bible open and it's a King James Bible? Brother, Brother Miller, what does that verse say in the King James? Say it loud. Verse 13. What would you say? Oh, (laughs) he's already going ahead. I want you to see. You're going to recognize this verse when it comes to the, the King James. There you go. Okay, watch that. Therefore, or wherefore rather, gird up the loins of your mind. I've said this before, but, but girding up the loins, you have to remember that, that especially the men, they, everybody wore these long flowing robes in the Bible times. And uh, it's hard to run and fight and hoe a garden and all that when you're wearing a dress. Not that they wore a dress, but that's how it gets you in your mind. And so there was, the men were able to, they could gird up their loins, they would reach back and they would grab the back hem of that robe and they would pull it up through their legs and they would tuck it in their belt and it would basically make a pair of flowing pants, if you will. They would gird up the loins. It was bringing things together so that they could run and and, and not trip on the things that were flowing and swirling around them. I'm going to get back to that here in a moment. As obedient children, verse 14, do not be conformed by the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, verse 16, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now we've heard that verse, we know that verse. But did you know that that's not the first time that verse appears in scripture? If you have your Bible, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn to the book of Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stretch some things here for just a moment. I'm going to stretch the bonds of hermeneutics. But watch what what Leviticus chapter 11 verse 44 says. For I am the Lord your God, consecrate Yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Now, watch this. Keep reading. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. If you go up and you look at verse 41 and stuff, you'll find that it's talking about the uh, what they can eat and what they can touch. And it was talking about creepy bugs and swarming insects and, and ants and roaches and all of that. And I'm going to tell you right now, I know that I'm going to stretch the bonds of, of biblical interpretation But I have written down in my Bible right here, the Bible says you've got to gird up the loins of your mind. And it links that with being holy for I am holy. I'm sure this isn't exactly what Peter meant, but let me apply it Brandon Buford style. It is hard to live for God when your mind has swarming thoughts that you can't control and creeping thoughts that go here and there and yonder. And I've tried to do it. I've gone to bed at night and and, and things pop into your mind that would make a sailor blush. And you go, my God, how in the world? Why would that be in my mind? And then I hear the voice of Peter saying, that's why it's so important to gird up the loins of your mind. To bring every thought into Captivity to not let your thoughts wander, don't let your thoughts be like roaches that scatter when you turn on the lights. But bring your mind, your thoughts into captivity and be holy, for I am holy. It's interesting, Peter started this by talking about the hope, and now he's into holiness. But I would tell you today, in fact, would you please join me in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1? Because I would like to tell you that hope and holiness always go together. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. Watch what it says. Uh, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he... Is pure. Everyone who hopes in Jesus purifies himself because Jesus is pure. That's how you would need to properly translate that verse. If you have a hope in Jesus, you want to be like Him. The Bible says He is holy. So if you hope in Him, it causes you to be holy in Him. That's why Peter can start with the hope and get on into the holiness. Watch verse 17. And if you call on Him as the Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear through the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. For he was, or, but, but you were with the precious blood of Christ and that the lamb without blemish and spot. And He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So he's talking to those that are scattered, those that are away from their family homes, those who trials have brought them to the outskirts. And he's telling them, he says, hey, I, I know you're having to live through some persecution, but listen here, conduct yourselves uh, with fear. That don't mean scariness, that means with, with gravity, with making sure that, that you, you, you do the honorable thing, the holy thing. Conduct yourselves during this time of your exile. You weren't ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. You're not ransomed because someone brought a lamb to to the temple. You're not ransomed from your sins because someone offered a sacrifice. You're ransomed by the precious blood of Christ who was slain without a blemish or without a spot. Verse 17 basically says this, and I want you to hear me. Why don't you live up to the salvation that's in you. If God's going to go through all the trouble to save your soul, live up to the gift He gave you, be ye holy because He is holy having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again not of the perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of god for the and, and I'm I'm putting this little paraphrase for this is what the bible says cuz what I'm about to read comes from uh It comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 and verse 8. For all flesh is like the grass, and all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So, this is the word that is the good news that is preached unto you. You see, they had some problems here in the wilderness. Remember, he's talking to Jews. He's talking to those that, that remember at least the stories of what it was like to come out of Egypt. And he's saying, I know that right now you're, not, you're having to live kind of, uh, you're spread because of the persecution. You're having to be out in the world. But he said, just, just live, conduct yourselves accordingly. Let's, let's delve into that for a moment. Let's look at chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy, all envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for this pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone who was rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We know, I mean, we, we sing songs about Jesus, our rock, and the cornerstone and building on him. Jesus is that cornerstone. And, and, and w- one of the best ways to understand that, it's not a cornerstone, but one of the best ways you can see it is if you ever go look at, a, at a, the way a, an arch is built. In fact, if you go to the uh, science center, you, you can get these little foam blocks and you can make the arch. And Or if you go look at an old stone building and you watch how the arch is built, there are two legs that come up. And at the very center of the top is what they call the keystone. It's a trapezoidal shaped stone. And that stone bears the weight of everything else and even though it's on top the understanding is everything is built from that stone or a cornerstone. that stone that is put in the bottom have any of you ever tried to build a retaining wall of any sorts? have you ever done that? any of you ever had to tear it down when you got a few levels up because it was horribly crooked because you didn't level the first block? if you haven't, you're awesome But your pastor is not quite so. And it's so important. That first stone you lay determines how everything else plays out. Lay that first stone right, everything else will fall into place. If that first stone is wrong, you're in a heap of trouble. Can I tell you today that you and I are being built upon a cornerstone that cannot be mistaken. You're built on a cornerstone that is perfect, that is true, that is acceptable. In fact the Bible says in scripture verse 6, behold I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious and whosoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is Peter quoting from Isaiah 28 verse 16. Now I know there were other places in in the gospels where they talked about Peter and John and they said they're just ignorant fishermen well I don't know about you this ignorant fisherman had a good grasp of the word of God because if you go back and read his his, uh, sermon in Acts chapter 2 it's chock full of Bible verses that you find in the Old Testament. Peter knew the word of God. In fact, he doesn't stop there. He says in verse 7, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, he quotes Psalms 8118-22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And verse 8, he quotes from Isaiah 8.14, A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He says, the same Jesus that caused others to stumble, the same Jesus as others discarded and, 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 and nailed to a cross, for you and I, it's the cornerstone. He says, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, verse 9, Brother uh, uh, Mike, put, put verse 9 up there in the King James I want you to, this is a verse I I assume most of you are going to know. But I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version. But I want you to see what, what it says so you hear it other words. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, verse 10, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter was pulling from the, the uh, Exodus story that is in Exodus chapter 19. That time in which God was going to come down on Mount Sinai and God was going to speak to them. And in fact, I want you to turn there with me in Exodus chapter 19 and especially in verse number 6. Exodus chapter 19 and we're going to start at verse 6. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6. Uh, actually, let, let's, let's, go back, uh, let's go back to verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the people. For the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Moses uh, uh, was talking to God and God said, I'm going to call the people. A people that for over 450 years have been slaves in Egypt. A no-name race of people that time has forgotten, but I never forgot them. I heard the groanings of them in every time that whip landed on their back. And so if you'll go tell them, Moses, tell them that you saw how I brought you out of Egypt. Saw how I brought you here unto myself. And listen, obey my voice, keep my commandments. You'll be my treasured possession and you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I would like to tell you today that God never intended for Israel to become a kingdom of just one priest that you had to go to right here. God had had ordained that they were, if they would have just listened, if they would have just grabbed a hold of what God had in mind, they would have had the greatest relationship with their creator that this world would have ever seen. But if you go back to First to, uh, Peter, they didn't do it. They, they got up there to that Egypt or to that Mount Sinai, and they heard the voice of God, and they saw the rumbles and they saw the flashings, and they got scared of God's presence. And they said, "Moses, we don't want to hear from God anymore." We don't want God to speak to us like that ever again. In fact, Moses, you go speak to God and then you tell us what God had to say. That's not how God intended it. God never intended for you to live your life just listening to someone preach a sermon and you never hearing from a voice of God yourself. Although pastors and prophets and evangelists and apostles and teachers are necessary for the perfecting of the saints, God has always designed that you can go boldly before His throne. Why? Because you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But look at verse 11. But I urge you as sojourners, I urge you as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, Peter, if we, if we don't aren't careful, we miss the depth of what Peter wanted to say. I, I want to take you all the way back to, to that exile and that 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 exodus that God brought them out. The longer I'm alive and the more I see, Brother Herod, it, it astounds me, the, the parallel between God calling Israel out of Egypt and God calling you and I out of sin. The parallel is astounding. God calls them, I mean, these are a, they, they, Yeah, they were Abraham's seed, but they had forgotten all of that. They were in bondage. They were in captivity. It was a horrible life that they lived. But yet God said, I'm going to bring them out of captivity. All the ten ten plagues, the, the, the blood on the doorpost, all of that. What an amazing thing. Take a trip out of Egypt and as you leave, you take all your neighbors' gold and silver because as you leave, they're throwing it out the window saying, please get out of here, take it, we don't deserve it, go, leave us, go as far as you can. And God brings some three million people out of their, their bondage. They get to the, 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 the sea Red Sea and here comes Pharaoh's armies galloping behind it and I know there was murmuring complaining but just look at the miraculous thing and Moses stretches forth his hand over the Red Sea and it parts and they walk through on dry land and somehow however long it took 3 million plus people to walk across that crossing God kept the Egyptians at bay and then the Egyptians get out there the waters crash down around them and they die what? what? A powerful thing. They walk into the wilderness. I saw something very funny. How many of you, you have those those map or GPSs on your phones, and so if you you know you can say, I want to know how long it's going to take me to get from here to there, and and it tell you, you know, it's 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 fifty miles. it will take you about you know fifty minutes or an hour. You know, does it? You ever notice there's two other uh, icons? There's a bicycle and there's a pedestrian. And if you click the pedestrian, it'll tell you how long it takes to walk that. Some smart aleck got on Google Maps and and did a line from Egypt to the Promised Land. And Google Maps says it would take you six days to walk. But it took them 40 years. Here's why. God brought them out. God saved them, Matthew. Salvation. God brought them out of the miry clay, put their feet on a rock to stay. But when they got into a period of wandering, when they got into a period where God said, I need you just to hold tight for a moment, first thing they did, build a golden calf and dance around it. Oh, when, when Moses came down, they tried to make it sound good. They said, Brother Jolly, we, 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 we just couldn't see God, and we wanted to, to, to kind of make something that reminded us of God so we could direct our worship. We really are worshiping God. But here's why idolatry is wrong no matter where you go. is because it didn't stop there. Pretty soon, they were erecting in Asherah poles, totem poles, and they were feeding their kids to the God of Molech and burning them in the fire. And they were praying and worshiping Baal. And can you imagine those that had, had watched God bring them out of Egypt? And now they're wandering. And those that lived in the land said, man, what a messed up people. God can't even get them where they're going. And their name, they they, they begin to, to give God, if you will, a bad name. And Peter began to think about that. And Peter was talking to those that have been saved. But right now you're in a trial. You've been dispersed because they were stoning Stephen and beheading James and and, and Saul, before he got saved, he's running around putting people in jail. And so you've got some Jews that have believed they've been filled with the Holy Ghost, they've been baptized, but life is starting to hit them and they're reeling back and forth and they're wondering, is life really worth it? And Peter says, listen to me, I urge you, those of you who are sojourners and exiles, Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. What he's saying is, don't backslide. Don't let those Gentiles, don't let those pagans say, well, what does it mean? I mean, why do you want me to get saved? You didn't change. One of of the, the, the worst things I've ever had said to me And it's somewhere in my 38 years in one of the churches that I've attended. I was out there, Brother Don, and and somebody came up to me and they said, hey, do you know so-and-so? I said, yeah. Man, he cusses like a sailor and he's the most filthy person. His jokes are filthy. Don't he go to your church? Yeah. Is he saved? How do you answer that? This is what Peter was saying. If God's going to go through all the trouble of pulling you out of the fire, don't find a moment of weakness, a moment of exile, a moment of sojourning, a moment of trials, and don't fall back into what the sinners do. Why don't you keep your conduct pure and honorable so that they see your good works and they glorify God? Because I promise you, what you do in the wilderness is going to affect those around you and I will tell you that even though there were some horrible things that happened in the wilderness there were some stragglers they picked up on the way so that when they got into the promised land there were those that had watched there were those that, that, that had followed and they said like, like uh, Ruth said to Naomi I want your God to be my God I want your people to be my people. Peter was telling him, You have a living hope. Life isn't that bad because you're breathing. Not only do you have that living hope, but you're serving a God who is holy. So why don't you be holy? So that you can lift your head and know you are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation. You are God's treasure. So don't go back. Israel messed this up royally. Israel messed it up. They fell full into idolatry. But you and I have a chance to do it right. We've been saved. And we're going to walk through this life as His treasure so that it will be a testimony to those Gentiles so that when the trumpet sounds, some of them might follow us. would you stand there's some more I want to get to we'll get to the the second part of 1 Peter chapter 2 and on it because it keeps going but I hope you've seen how Peter his words begin to come alive I wonder if we could lift our hands I wonder if you could just begin to talk to him you've been born again to a living hope you've been born again to a holiness you've been born again to God's presence and his glory Would you just begin to talk to him? I felt his presence for the last few days as I've poured over this book. I've I've felt his glory and I feel it now. And I want you to let the word of the Lord speak to you in the name of Jesus as they begin to play and as they begin to sing.